Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Growth Farm Production. Are you ready? Let's get to it. With the complexities of go-to-market today in the B2B SaaS market, it's no surprise that businesses are struggling to get their quote to billing done right. Over the last decade or so, we have seen the rise of subscription models, consumption and usage-based models, and then product-led growth, self-service, and cloud marketplace motions. But organizations are still struggling to piece together the different parts of quoting, billing, and usage to support these different motions. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Sandeep Jain, the CEO and co-founder at Monetize Now, shares why this is so challenging for organizations and also shares best practices for bringing together different business models and different sales channels to provide a seamless, agile, purpose-built experience to support modern B2B SaaS requirements. So please take a listen and see how CPQ and billing nirvana might actually be possible. So super excited to be here today with Sandeep Jain, the co-founder and CEO at Monetize Now. Monetize Now is the world's first integrated quoting, billing, and usage platform built for the B2B SaaS enterprise. So welcome, Sandeep, and thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to just share your story and learn more about what you're building and learn from you. Thank you so much, Rosalind, for inviting me on the show. I've listened to uh, your your episodes, and I just love uh, what you bring out from your guests. Uh, so I've learned <laughs> a lot from your your show, by the way. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And so excited to have you here. <laughs> so let's talk, let's start maybe by talking a little bit about your journey, right? Before Monetize Now. I mean, you've been in so many different leadership roles. I saw you were in product, you did business development, you've done partnerships, and you even started, it looks like started out in engineering. So maybe can you share some of your backstory and then your career journey? Absolutely. Well, some people say that, um, I didn't know what I was trying to do because I did pretty much everything. <laughs> but uh, I, I grew up in India, bachelor's in computer science. I came to the U.S., did master's in computer science. And then my first job was in engineering at a company called mm-hmm. Juniper Networks. Uh, I did hardcore engineering work, ASIC engineering. I did kernel programming. I managed a large team there. Uh, but then over a period of time, I realized my like there's a higher purpose of doing what we are doing which is like product. So I transitioned into product at Palo Alto Networks and Cisco. This was in network security, not networking. Um, And at Cisco, I managed uh, a team of product managers and uh, a big product line was a $400 million product line. Wow. Um, And that's where I actually learned a lot of things about product management and uh, what to do and what not to do, by the way, as well. (laughs) Um, But then I was getting bored. and I was like, I need to be more on consumer side. I wanted to have some fun there. And I wanted to start a company at some point in my time, uh, in my life. And so I wanted to go into a sales role. And the closest to a sales role for me, it was a business development role. So I found a job at Inmobi, which was leading business development for them. It's a consumer role. Uh, you don't get your customary bonus as an engineer or a product person. Like you need to close the deals. And yeah. 
that <laughs> instilled a discipline in me about how to sell. And um, after that, after InMovie, I did a startup, which was in B2C space about podcast distribution. This was before Spotify did anything with podcasts and made them super popular. Um, <laughs> uh, it was a good experiment. It didn't scale the way I wanted to. So yeah, that's that's my journey. That's awesome. I, I think, you know, it's funny. People might think that you're kind of trying to figure out what you want to do. But I mean, that breadth of experience, I find is just so valuable because there's pieces of everything that you take with you, right? And kind of culminate into your current role. You know, when I think about, you know, a lot of times when I talk to founders on this show, you know, the companies get started, right? When somebody's faced with a problem or there's a challenge that they're trying to solve, or there's just some kind of pivotal moment or event that happens. Um, I read an article that you wrote where you described a meeting with a product manager a few years back when he talked about how subscription billing was broken. And I'm sure it's probably still relevant today. So maybe can you share some of that story and then more about what led you and your co-founder, Jeff Gibson, to start the company? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we, we started on a on a chance as a company. So mm -hmm. uh, my previous company was a B2C company, as I told earlier, it was not scaling well. And my goal is to build a billion dollar revenue company. You know, short life, you need to do something big. So I, that's, that's my goal. I did not start with, I'll fix the CPQ and billing problem, right? Yeah. I had a little bit experience of that at Cisco. Cisco had built its own CPQ, it was called CCW. Um, and... I had a lot of issues with that, but let's not get into that. Uh, so anyways, I want to build a big company and I was looking at big areas where um, big markets and big problems. Um, so I was looking at support, fixing support for B2B companies, not B2C, B2B. And that's when this conversation happened with this person. And uh, this person said, look, Sandeep, if you really want to build a billion dollar business, I have another idea for you. Uh, can you please fix billing? And this was like four years ago. Like, what the hell is billing? You know, it's like a large <laughs> on a recurring basis. How complex can this get? You're saying this is a big problem for you? I said, no, Sandeep, you're underestimating the problem here. Uh, we're using a product called Zora, using something called Salesforce CPQ. And these products were not built for SaaS. And we have looked around, we have hired consultants, but everybody points to these same similar tools. And nobody has fixed this problem. And this is a huge problem for us. And what struck me about that conversation is, uh, you know, Bay Area is an idea factory. Everybody has 15 ideas to share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for me, what struck in that conversation was, this is in the path to revenue. And if Zendesk is hurting, I'm pretty sure all the B2B SaaS companies are hurting in some way. And if somebody can fix that problem, I didn't know what the problem was, by the way. I couldn't appreciate <laughs> it at that time. Yeah. Uh, but if you fix that problem, there is immense value that you can create for customers and for yourself. So with that thought, I said, look, I need to understand the problem. Because if I don't understand the problem, clearly the solution is, like your solution is as good as your understanding of the problem. I fundamentally believe in that. So I went on LinkedIn and I talked to literally more than 100 people. Because I made sure I'm talking to IT sales ops, rev ops, finance ops. Uh, I talked to competitors, their product managers, uh, mm -hmm. even board of directors. I talked to their customer advisory board members um, and everybody gave their time to me. It was 30 minutes call. Um, and over this, I did this an exercise over a period of three months. And then I published this blog, um, not because I'm famous or like 15,000 people follow me, but <laughs> I feel that unless I write things, 
I'll pretend that I know. But if I write, I'll really get these things going for me. Um, so that is a blog that was published and uh, that seemed to touch a nerve in the industry. Um, like Stripe, Aptis, Salesforce, uh, they reached out to me. I was a guest on a podcast from Zora, by the way, Yeah. Uh, at that time. But the best part that happened was that's how Jeff and I met. Jeff was at Atlassian and he had done these things in and out. Atlassian has this huge problem, by the way, on this this subject. And uh, Jeff, Jeff, when Jeff and I started talking, he was super passionate about solving this. So I tend to like work with people who are super passionate about solve, doing something, and that's how Jeff and got to you know meet with each other. We became friends, and we became now business partners, and that's how Money Does Now got started. So sorry that's for the awesome. long. Story no, here, but that's that's, a, that's that's a great the... backstory. It's <laughs> it's funny because usually it's like you kept saying that you know you weren't really sure of the problem, but you tested it and knew. Now talking to so many people, it is a problem, and it's funny as you were speaking I, the whole time. I'm thinking like, okay, I've done quote to cash. I was in finance. I know the problem on the bill. I owed billing, and then I'm like, and I've been on the ops, the rev ops side, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's definitely a problem. <laughs> but you know, just listening to you talk about it, yeah, it's definitely something worth worthy of solving for sure. So, well, great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, let's talk about that a little bit more because, you know, I think about, you know, the complexities of go-to-market, right? And especially we have different selling motions. We have all these different routes to market. And then now we have all these different business models, right? I think it's significantly increased over the past couple, you know, I don't know, several, five, 10 years. But with subscription models, as you've mentioned, now consumption and usage-based, and now we have product-led growth and self-service, you know, and then obviously I've worked in the data space, so cloud marketplace motions, right? It's just no wonder that companies are really struggling to get this quote to billing done right. And I guess with all of the research and all the conversations that you've been having and, you know, with the business, you know, what are you seeing in the market today? And maybe where do you see all this headed? Yep. Um, So I think the first thing is uh, when I came as an outsider four years ago, I think this is a severely underdocumented problem. Mm -hmm. It's a severely felt problem, but there are no... There's no like uh, best practices on doing things because I think best practices come when the tools exist to support that best practices. Um, and so what I'm seeing right now in the market is pick a company in at any stage of their life cycle. I talk to Series A founders and they are struggling to understand how to do their revenue operations. They don't even know this is called revenue operations. They're like, which billing system should I use here? Um, do I need to worry about coding? So that's Series A company. Series B and C companies or D companies, they're in the scaling path already. Their RevOps team are like, it's a deer in the headlight kind of thing. Um, (laughs) They have uh, one CPQ tool, one billing tool, and then they're looking at another usage billing tool. And then the problem comes, how to connect these things. Um, And in my research, it's even public companies. There's one public company, by the way. I won't name them, but because it's not a public information, but... They have about 270 engineers working on figuring out their billing problem. Hmm. It's 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 outrageous. I think it's absurd. As a founder, it it's just like, why are we doing this thing? Um, yeah. And then there's some information which is out there, like Nutanix, they build their own CPQ. Uh, and Fastly build their own billing engine. I was talking to another startup. I don't know why they did that. They built their own coding system, Rosalind. So... Mm-hmm. When I see that, this is this is kind of absurd to me. So the pain is still being felt. I think where all this headed is, 
I think the era of point solutions is gone. It's done. It's not about a vendor problem. It's like if you're just selling a CPQ or just selling a billing system or just selling a usage billing, this approach does not work anymore. And so the consolidation is happening. And I think that's where the world is headed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I love, I love that too, because I mean, it's just, we're seeing so many different systems doing these point solutions, doing different things and trying to tie that all together and keep it in sync and integrate the data. That's a huge pain point, especially from a you know RevOps perspective. Um, so let's talk about usage-based models a bit more. You know, I think more and more companies have moved to a consumption kind of use and pay as you go type of model. But as a RevOps leader, you know, I know how complicated this can make all aspects of revenue from pricing to forecasting to quoting and even invoicing and then RevRack as well. And then all sort of the steps in between. Um, what recommendations, I guess, do you have for companies who are thinking about moving to this usage-based or consumption-based motion or have maybe already done so? Right. Uh, so I think there's there's two, two parts here. Like one, companies that are trying to move to usage, right? So we see two things happening. Either they're trying to build something on their own because they don't find anything in the market, or B, they buy a standalone usage tool. So my my first big recommendation is, if you're considering usage, please, 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 do not buy a standalone usage tool. It it seems very interesting that, hey, we shouldn't build our own, let's buy something. And that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good rationale. But the problem is, now this new tool that you just buy has to connect to your coding system because somebody has to code the usage. It's not coming out of ether, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have to bill for it, um, which is probably another billing system. Mm-hmm. So now you have, you have, what you're signing up for is you have to build these integrations and this is not a one-time thing. You will have to continuously change that or edit that as your go-to-market changes. So please, please, please do not buy a separate standalone usage tool. <laughs> um, what we see mostly happening is people are trying to build their own. Um, mm-hmm. It may be an okay exercise to do, but I think where I would recommend these founders or head of engineering or head of product to think about is this integrated architecture. Think of this not just as a usage problem. Usage is just an artifact of billing. So think of this as a holistic business problem of coding, billing, and usage together. And your mind then will gravitate towards this architecture, like one system that can do your coding and billing. So that's for them. For people who have already transitioned into usage billing model, uh, they're probably facing the problems that I just talked about earlier. Um, And one thing I would... So we talk to companies all the time that that are doing usage billing out of NetSuite, you know, because you are a 50 million ARR, 100 million ARR. And NetSuite is your thing. And it's not a NetSuite, but one thing I would recommend to, to those folks is do not look at usage as just like a checklist that you have to do it. And companies have a very inside-out view. Can I bill my usage customer? Yes, you can by doing 50 iterations on your billing. But if you put an outside-in lens on usage, can your customers see the usage that they are doing? Um, no. Uh, how long does it take for you to do usage billing runs? How many errors you have in your usage billing? So long story short, if you change the lens from an outside to in, you will find so many holes in your usage billing story that it, like your CRO or a chief customer officer would say, there is a problem here. So 
I would just urge people to look at it from that lens uh, as well. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, maybe along the same lines and then maybe just to expand further on this, you know, if we incorporate PLG motions or self-serve and some of these cloud marketplaces that we were talking about, you know, with companies moving or expanding to these, you know, much more complex models, like what are you seeing companies maybe doing right when it comes to sort of the quote to billing or, or maybe better, you know, what are they doing wrong? I think I'll talk about the wrong part first. And it's not because they're deliberately doing something wrong. But I think, as I said earlier, this is a very underdocumented space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it primarily is because the tools were point solutions. So, But to the point about what they're doing wrong is they are reacting to a requirement. Like, I need to do self-serve today. So let's talk about self-serve. But nobody is looking at and I think this is one thing if the listeners are, are want to grab one thing from, from this, this episode is uh, problem of revenue operations is not a point problem. So whatever decision that you're making, you're actually making a decision for the company for the next five, 10 years because replacing these systems is almost impossible. It's a very hard change management exercise. Replacing a CRM, HR system, or anything else is much easier. The billing and coding is at the nucleus or the heart of what you do as a company. So when you have a requirement, when you're looking at, I need a billing solution, just don't focus on the requirements that you have today. Think about what company you want to become three years down the line. Mm-hmm. Take your mind there and go back from there and then make a decision. So if you're not a product-led growth company today, you can be three years down the line. So does your coding system is designed to support that self-serve, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you're a product-led growth company today, you also need to understand you have salespeople going to sell your solution. You have partners going to sell your solution. And what I see is you may have a different starting point as a B2B company, but the ending point, the steady state, is actually same for everybody. Um, and if you think about it, problem from that perspective, the unified architecture just, just makes a ton of sense. Uh, to approach this problem. What they're probably doing right, um, you asked two parts to that. Um, I don't know, actually. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't, because, and it's not because I, uh, I don't want to say it, but there are point solutions in the market. So they, it's very hard to make a right decision today um, based on what is available out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Cause I think, you know, many organizations, they have these separate systems, right? I know in my past life also, we have a CPQ system, we have a billing system, we try to integrate them, but we have all these separate systems to handle all of these different selling motions and then different systems for different parts within each of the selling motions. And then this despair, you know, we sometimes have a separate system for tracking usage. Then we have CPQ for quoting, right? And then maybe even we're just using a manual spreadsheet for invoicing some of those consumption transactions, right? In arrears, which we've done a lot. I've said, seen that in the past and we upload the transactions into our CRM so that they're there. But I mean, you know, somehow all of this data is supposed to get consolidated somewhere, right? For us to use internally. But you made a good point about the customer, right? Is Can the customer even see what they're using and be able to track this? So let's talk kind of monetize now a little bit. You know, how does the monetize now help bring all of these disconnected systems together? And then maybe along the same lines, you know, what benefits do you think organizations can expect by leveraging this type of, you know, really purpose-built platform? Right. So, yeah, when, when I was doing the research, you know, my biggest thesis was that these systems need to come together. So when mm-hmm. Jeff and I 
put our collective minds together to solve this problem, we said, let's forget what we have learned, but let's just think about this problem from a first principles basis, right? Mm -hmm. So we were not there to build the best coding system. We were not there to build the best billing system. We are the problem that we are saying is how can we solve this revenue operations problem? Why is everybody screaming murder in this space? Let's solve <laughs> that problem first, right? Yeah. And so if you peel the layers of that particular onion, what you'll <laughs> find is the real problem in this entire space is not because individual products are bad, but they have a different data model. Mm-hmm. Like a CPQs have a different data model, whether it's Salesforce or somebody else or a billing system. And the problem then becomes you're trying to connect these disparate product catalogs together. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the revenue operations lady at, at, uh, at a company, at a public company, she said it best, by the way. She said, my go-to-market is not decided by my product or the marketing team. And she actually used this phrase. It's the least common denominator of what my tools in the revenue operation stack can support. Mm. And I think that that's the misery point here, right? So if you focus on that, you say, well, all these products need to have the same product catalog, right? So that's the that's the aha moment, right? So -hmm. if you do that, now your CPQ billing and uh, your usage now are sharing this model. Mm -hmm. Now, what that also means as a corollary is you cannot have a best CPQ product. You cannot have a best billing product because both of them need to work with their downstream or upstream counterparts. Mm-hmm. And actually, the market data supports it, Rosalind. So, and this was the question that I asked myself before I was starting the company: Why is there not a like a billion-dollar CPQ company, public company? Why is there not like a big company on the billing side? I mean, I know Zora is there, but they mm-hmm. are. I mean, they should be doing like clocking five billion in revenue. Mm-hmm. I mean, a Salesforce CRM clocks four billion in revenue. Mm-hmm. Zora is four hundred million, and that product is supposed to make you more money. So there's no billing company that's clocking 5 to 10 billion in revenue. And I predict, mm-hmm. by the way, there is no standalone usage company that's going to be a public company either. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then you do this in one system. That's the new architecture. Uh, by the way, it reminds me of my Cisco days back in networking security. Um, and I'll come back to the point quickly. In networking security, there used to be two markets, uh, firewalls and intrusion mm-hmm. prevention systems. Oh, wow. I haven't heard that for so long. <laughs> <laughs> but, but look what happened in that in that world. And this is happening in the, I bet this is happening in the revenue operations world as well. Yeah. The firewall market and the IPS came together because Palo Alto Network said there's a next generation firewall, right? Mm-hmm. So IPS market ceased to exist. It does not exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So they combined together in this next generation firewall market. I think similarly, CPQ will cease to exist and billing, they will combine together, and mm-hmm. we call this as an enterprise monetization platform. Call it whatever phrase that analysts will come up, but this unified architecture will be the future. So, so that's what we did. Um, and by the way, getting the train back on the tracks. The second thing we did is self serve and to support these different channels. Yeah. This system needs to be API first. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. shift left. People talk about shift left on developer tools. Mm-hmm. A shift left is happening on revenue operation stack. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Intuit, um, LinkedIn, and the new generation companies. All of these companies, CPQ and billing, are now engineering problems. They're not ID problems. So, mm. 
So second thing we did was we put layers of API on this. And the third thing we did is we made this as an easy software. Like, just make it simple software to use. Don't make it a complicated 90s enterprise-y software. And so with these three things is what uh, what we did at Monetize Now. Uh, The benefits that people can get from this architecture, I think there's one benefit, and I'm not going to go in anything else, is fully automated revenue operations. Just close your eyes. Pretend that whatever is happening in your organization, there is no manual workflow needed in your revenue operations. Imagine the possibilities that you could do with your mm-hmm. product and your company. That's the big biggest benefit with this architecture. Yeah, yep, I love that. It sounds like like a utopia, right? It sounds like nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's awesome. That's great. Um, you know, on this on this podcast, I, I think we focus a lot on the go-to-market, you know, revenue side of the house and, you know, obviously the revenue funnel, right, if you will. But the ability to quote and bill and recognize revenue, right, it has a huge impact on finance and accounting teams. You know, and having, and I mentioned that I was on the finance ops side before and I've run quote to cash. I've owned billing in a prior life, right, <laughs> and, and collections and all of that, the whole AR. This was quite some time ago. But, um, you know, I can fully appreciate really the ability to streamline that whole quote to cash process because that process, you know, certainly doesn't just end with the invoice, right? Once we get an order out, we get an invoice out. There's so much more that has to happen behind that. Um, Are you seeing, I guess, finance playing a larger role in some of these decisions, even around CPQ and billing? You know, and I guess, do you have any advice maybe for finance in terms of how they can better structure the upstream processes to support, you know, their downstream requirements? No, absolutely. I think that's a great question, Rosalind. I think what has happened is traditionally before SaaS came, there used to be, a, of course, sales and finance teams and uh, they never talked to each other very well because it, they didn't need to. Because in mm-hmm. a non-SaaS world, there is one transaction, there is one order form, multiple invoices, nothing changes. The life mm-hmm. is happy, you know. Yeah. With SaaS, the thing is that CPQ and billing are two sides of the same coin. So there are more upsells, amendments, and that forces mm-hmm. the finance and sales teams to work together, which they didn't have to earlier. Mm-hmm. And this is the flexibility of SaaS or the nightmare of finance, you know, pick your phrase. Basically. <laughs> so I think the biggest thing is for the finance teams is to understand that they are connected, they're tied to the hip with the sales team now, with the SaaS model. So that's learning number one. Learning number two is, if you have to work with the sales, it's best to work in a unified platform where I've, I've seen finance people complaining, why did the salespeople have a net zero on an invoice with a quarterly billing? Who the hell can support this thing? Like we are not, we cannot support that. Or a monthly invoicing. Do you expect me to generate an invoice monthly? And so with these changes, the, you can avoid these problems if at the coding time, the billing and the, fine, the sales teams are working together. Now. What that means is the tooling should support working together. So if a salesperson does a is proposing a quote to a customer that finance teams don't think should be done, they should be able to stop that. Uh, and how can they automate everything? If as a finance person, you have to go and create a customer in Stripe or whatever, and you have to generate manually invoices for usage billing, mm-hmm. you are going down a path which will not scale. So um, I think having a conversation with the sales team and understanding what coding system that you're buying, because that's the top of the funnel. If the data from your coding system is bad, it's just like a PDF, 
And somebody has to manually convert this into your CRM data. And then you go manually to look at CRM and convert this into your invoice. You are in a lot of pain, friends. So can you automate that? Think automation um, is what I would suggest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I personally have felt that pain <laughs> where, you know, quoting, quoting something that you can't invoice, right? Or that you can't rev rack. It's just, yeah, <laughs> that could be a whole nother episode. Um, okay. So, you know, as I think about, you know, revenue engine in this podcast, I'm always hoping, you know, that others will be able to really accelerate revenue growth and power the revenue engine. So maybe from your perspective, you know, what are the top couple of things, maybe two or three things that you think all revenue leaders should really be thinking about today to help accelerate and grow revenue? Yep. Uh, so if I place myself in the shoes of a, a revenue officer or a head of sales, you, you know, your job is to get more revenue for the company based on what they have built, right? Mm-hmm. So if you go from first principles, how can you get there? Well, uh, your revenue operations, can you make it zero touch? Which is another way of saying, can you do a fully automated quote to cash? Yeah. If there's one thing as a leader, as a sales leader, you should drive your entire team towards from a thinking perspective is to set this as your goal for the company and say, anything we will do, will think hard and long about if we are putting people in this process. So if you fully automate that zero touch, now what that means is if this is a sales-led deal, AE does a quote, so which means invoicing is completely automatic. Syncing data to Salesforce is automatic. If the customer calls and says, I need more seats, AE can do that deal in like minutes, not days. There's no deal desk that's approving this thing because the boundaries are set. Invoices and credits are generated automatically and you're just relaxing and things are just working. <laughs> if it is self-serve, then customers are clicking away happily on your web. In- invoices are getting generated. If this customer says, look, I really like your product. I want to go to an enterprise plan now because I want to, I'm done with dating. I want to go to marriage, right? Uh-huh. So does this involve people? And today it does, by the way. So can you make mm-hmm. this a self-serve experience to go from your self-serve product your enterprise offering. Mm -hmm. If you solve these problems, magically you will see more money coming in for the company, right? Because you have removed all the friction points Mm -hmm. in your path to revenue with whatever the product that you're selling, with zero investment in the product. So I would say even for the CEOs and the the board of directors, you know, this is the problem. If as as an executive team, you can solve this problem, you can get more mileage out of your car or your product than anything else. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that. I think I'm um, always thinking about automation first. I mean, think about f- us as consumers, right? And as buyers, we are looking for that too because you're ultimately going to end up with a better customer experience also, right? And so that experience of doing business, being easy to do business with. And most of us don't want to go through a sales rep, right? We would just want to go ahead and click, click, click and then sign on the dotted line. So, I mean, the easier that you can make that not only for your internal team and for your revenue team to drive revenue, but also that customer experience to drive retention, right? And keep happy customers. That's a great oh, point. I'll add one more point to this, Rosalind, because I, I yeah. recently felt this last week. We are a startup. We are buying other B2B products as well. Yep. Order forms are terrible, Rosalind. <laughs> They're so hard to understand. And, you know, you just order something on Amazon. Of course, it's a, not a compatible thing, but you know what you're buying. You know when you're getting yeah. it. And yeah. you look at the order form. It's maybe a $20,000 product or a $100,000 product. It, the badness is same. Like, okay, when am I paying? What I'm paying for? What are the seats here? 
And you have to just apply your lawyer contractual brain <laughs> in parsing that order from. And I think companies need to treat their customers with respect when they send order forms. And I would love to get that more discipline. And like, if you do that to your customers, they will adore you yeah. because you've simplified doing business uh, with them. Anyways, that's just came to my mind. So yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it's absolutely true. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, but as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask guests two things. One, what is the one thing about you that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? Um, surprised to learn. Um, I actually coded for like until a few months ago, I was coding uh, as as uh, as a developer in Monetize now. And some people are oh. surprised that why you did that. But I, I treat software engineering as, as it's an engineering artist job. It's not an engineer job. And mm-hmm. if you're building something as complex as coding and billing, um, I just wanted to be inside the system and understand, like, proration is a gnarly concept. Oh, yeah. Implementing <laughs> proration across coding. And, and you're laughing and you, you probably understand that. So, oh, I feel uh, I that, pain. that Implementation, and it needs to be correct. It needs to be logical. And your code needs to be very maintainable. So anyways, I was doing this uh, until a few months ago. Um, That's that awesome. one. Um, and I'm also, people think I'm a very extrovert person, but I'm a highly introvert person. Mm. Um, it doesn't come out naturally. But anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what I would like everybody to know about myself, uh, I think I deeply care about people. Um, I think in our professional lives, it's very easy to to change the frame of reference like what this person can do for me. And that empathy part just completely goes out of the window. And um, over the period of years, I realized that that's, that's what I really thrive on. And so building these long-lasting relationships, um, you know, we got one life. You know, Some people make more money, some people make less money, some people will have big titles, some people have lots of other titles. But, you know, when you're old and whatever, I think that relationship aspect of like, can you call somebody from 20 years ago and say, I did good by you, man, or, you know, friend, yeah. um, that just drives a lot of positive energy in me. Um, and that that's actually reflecting in the company as well and how we deal with our customers, investors, employees. And I think that's just an important thing to call out. Um, I don't know if this makes sense or not, but... No, I love that. I love that. And it it really resonates with me too. I think that those relationships that you build, that's really the value, right? Like you said, we only have one life to live. So yes, jobs will come and go, companies, but it's all those relationships that are the things that are are really meaningful, both in your professional life and in your personal life. And it's funny that you mentioned the 20 years ago, because I literally had a conversation last week with somebody (laughs) that I worked with 20 years ago at Exodus, Exodus Communications, we got bought yep. by Cable and Wireless, but Data Center Operations, and literally had a conversation with him, like as if we had just worked together and we hadn't talked to each other since I probably, when I left there, 2003. So almost 20 years ago. And we just got on a Zoom and just started chatting. And it was just like we hadn't, you know, hadn't missed a beat. So I love that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you know, just thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. I think there's incredible information here. Um, and I, you know, like a lot of my episodes, I can't wait to kind of go back. I always go back and listen so that I can kind of pick up on a lot of the nuggets that we talked about. Um, so thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for calling me, Rosalind. It was great speaking with you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. 